1: Welcome to another
0: episode of Pit Lane Parlay.
1: Welcome to the first Pit Lane Parlay IMSA episode of 2021. I almost forgot what year it was at this point. Trevor McClure joins me. Trevor, first off, thanks for joining, man. How's everything going down in Daytona?
2: Well, it's uh, warm. so That's always a plus, uh, especially coming down from Canada. It's a nice change of pace. Uh, otherwise, it's been really good here, man. Uh, really good roar. Uh, as you and a lot of people know, this is our first year where we've had the roar and the race weekends back to back. So it's been a bit of a change and adjustment. Uh, fairly smoothly for a lot of people, us included. So it's uh, pretty good, man. Can't complain.
1: So with the, the roar being the weekend before instead of traditionally where it's kind of like uh, you know three weeks before-ish, how much more stress is that put on a, on a team in terms of getting everything ready? You know, God forbid, there's also an accident on top where now you have to fix the car in in you know, short order, more, more, more short order than usual.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like everything else, like uh, setting up the car or anything else. It's there's trade-offs. So there's advantages and disadvantages to both. Uh, one of the advantages being there is somewhat a bit of a reduction of stress in preparation for the event, because now you have the whole, whole first three weeks of January to do it instead of having to rush out the week, you know, or a week and a half after say Christmas and even a day or two after New Year's to get down to test days, to get down there, unpack, run the event, pack back up, travel home, and then have that two to three week period, less travel time to then get ready for the race. So uh, it gives you more time to be prepared once you get here. But as you mentioned, the converse to that is if you do wad something up or have issues this week, you've literally got the two days of prep, which is yesterday and today, to fix that. And God forbid, if you need something, even a, a new tub, new chassis, new car, uh, that definitely is going to send that stress level past redline. red line. Um, but again, for us, it's, it's been very good. And it's a necessary change given the current situation with everything, especially since there are a lot of foreign teams, drivers, crew, uh, most of my AWA crew included being Canadian uh, that have quarantine requirements when you return home. Yeah. So for us, we've stayed here in Florida in the interim, uh, even though we haven't had to do any work or prep the, the Monday or Tuesday, uh, simply because we couldn't return home because there's not enough time. And it's, it's rather pointless. And of course, to increase risk of anything by traveling more and, and everything else. So, it's uh, it's definitely necessary, uh, I think for the most part it's been a positive change. Um, again, there's going to be trade-offs, and there will people people that disagree because they've had issues now, and they're having to get off the back foot and fix them. But uh, yeah, it is what it is, man. I think it's I think it's been quite nice.
1: I like it. So for those listening, you are the race strategist and team chef for AWA and the Michelin Pilot, and then spotting in the Rolex 24 for the number 63 GTD Ferrari 488. So you've got a you've got a busy weekend. The the Michelin pilot is what a 4-hour race on Friday. That's correct. And then obviously 24 hours starting late Saturday afternoon. So I have to ask team chef what's on the what's on the menu on a race weekend?
2: Uh well, I like most things like to go overboard. So uh, for example, breakfast this morning was uh, avocado toast with a lemon zest sesame stuffed uh, croissants with sausage and oh. fontina cheese. Uh, but over the course of the weekend, we've had um, street tacos, uh, white chicken chili. Like I, I treat my guys and gal well um, because the, the food is, is the fuel for your crew and you put good quality fuel and enough fuel in your crew, you get better results. So we, uh, we definitely don't skimp on the, the food we've even gone so far as to, uh, build a custom kitchen that rolls in and out of the, uh, the hauler, like a toolbox. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's been quite nice. So it's, it's a good setup. And, you know, again, I'm, I'm happy to do it. Seeing them fed and watered is, uh, brings a smile to my face.
1: Yeah. So I know, who's pit box to be near whenever media are allowed back in person. Uh, If you see me, if you see some guy in a black polo, that's me hanging out waiting for a a good meal. So perfect. Also you're spotting for the GTD car in the 24 hour race. So, I I understand that I believe you know spotters typically rotate throughout the 24 hour race. How many spotters do you have on the car, and what's it like from from a spotter's standpoint spotting during a, a 24 hour race?
2: I mean, typically you'll you'll have two, and we'll uh, we'll work in shifts. Uh, people have done the the full 24 solo, um, though I think a lot of those guys have opted not to do that this year, as we're all meant to be on the roof. Typically, they give us an option to spot from the roof or the fifth-level media center. Right. Uh, obviously, with COVID being that nobody's going indoors, so everybody's on the roof, um, and that you know it's daunting enough to do a fairly long shift—six, uh, eight, ten hours up there on the roof—because the the rooftop of Daytona midway through the 24-hour is the coldest place on Earth, irrespective of ambient temperature. So it does wear on you. Um, but for me, my, uh, my tagline is real spotters do it on the roof. And that's actually uh, a little jab at some of my friends who like that media center down there in level five. But, uh, you know, it'll be like uh, like Batman and Bane. They'll uh, they'll only have accepted the darkness where I was born in it. So uh, for me, the, the long stints, the cold temperatures and everything, it's just uh, it's just doing the job, man. So uh, it's not going to be too much of an issue. Me personally, I, I've done the 24 hours straight. Uh, no sleep as a crewman. Um and everything. So that's fine. But for me, I gotta have a little bit of rest just because of the responsibility and liability you put on yourself with that car. You just have to be sharp and there's no sense in the staying up twenty four hours just to say you've done it to wreck a car.
1: Yeah, I tried to do that last year and I made it about till God, I don't know, four o'clock in the morning before I was like, Wow, if I don't get sleep now, I'm gonna fall asleep standing up. So I definitely I definitely understand that. So this year we've got the addition of the LMP3 class which I'll talk a little bit more about in our overall IMSA preview that's coming tomorrow, but there's been a lot of chatter that the LMP3 class has added a lot of interest this year. I'm trying to figure out like the nice way to put it. It's been it's been very interesting to watch them so far. So from your point of view, what, what has LMP3 added to the field? And uh, what are people saying about it? Uh,
2: it's added concern.
1: <laughs> That's um, a better way of putting it.
2: When, when they announced it, it took about four and a half seconds for me to call that there was going to be all sorts of issues with the GT cars. Uh, especially when you look at the quick guys in the P3 cars are turning about the same lap time as the factory guys in LM cars. So you've got that component, but then you look at it a little further and realize that the P3 and the GTLM cars make their lap time and their speed in two totally different places. So they're always going to be intermingling even if one is a touch quicker than the other because they're gonna get there in different places. Obviously the P3 cars have a bit of a deficit with, um, with engine power but they're higher downforce, lighter weight. So in the brake zones and mid corner, they're going to be superior to the LM cars. And uh, that's just gonna cause concern. And then you look at it in practice as we've seen over the course of the week and especially in the hundred minute race on Sunday is you've got some of these bronze drivers in the P3 cars who are struggling to maintain GTD pace. So now you've got both ends of that LMP3 spectrum uh, intermingling with every GT car on track. And um, again, it's the same deal. They make their speed in two totally different places in totally different ways, um, and just you can look at uh, what played out in the hundred-minute race, where four of the seven LMP3 cars DNF'd, and I think the highest finishing LMP3 car would have been seventh or eighth in GTD, and that's only seven percent of the race length that we have this coming weekend. <laughs> um, so I'll make the bold prediction here and now that the, the guys who get Rolexes for the P3 class won't be racing at the end of the race. I think they're oh. all, all going to end up uh, in a garage or there's going to be mechanical issues. That's the other, other layer to this whole ordeal is these cars are fairly new. They have different spec engines in them, and they're relatively unproven. It's, uh, it's kind of the, uh, the Kevin Buckler syndrome with, with TRG. When they won overall at Daytona, the DP was new and the 997 was new and they made the wise decision to go to the, the 996 cup car that was tried and true and everything around them DNF'd and they, they won by, uh, by default. So I think you have an un- unproven piece with the, the mixture of mandated bronze drivers and just the, the pace that these cars are turning at Daytona relative to one another. I think it's a recipe for um, yellows. Is a nice way to put it.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's a much better way of what I put. All as I know is I I missed most of Sunday, and then I logged into social media and saw you and about fifteen other people going. Well, that's what we expected. And I had to catch myself up as to what was going on. And, uh, real quick, speaking of this weekend, so se- or last weekend, Saturday was the qualifying race for qualifying, and then Sunday was qualifying. For the 24 it feels like a bit of overkill looking at it from an outsider's perspective was one of those events maybe saturday kind of not as important as it it typically would as it should be or was
2: well i mean uh it's it's imsa trying new things and i'm i'm all for that um yeah. i'm not totally on board with you know the new point system where qualifying does issue points and matter um i'm still on the fence with it but i do appreciate the fact that IMS is uh trying some new things although i think as you put it qualifying for the qualifying race to qualify for the 24 hour um could be a bit confusing to to some people especially uh, you know the casual fan or the layman so um maybe it was a bit much and i think you know they they introduced that qualifying race as a way to um give incentive to mitigate sandbagging for the race and uh a, I don't know that they achieved that, um, in a number of classes, uh, obviously, uh, Nasser had a very vocal opinion about that, that showed up on, on social media and a number of racing outlets. And, um, you know, I, I can't say I disagree with him in any way.
1: Yeah. Well, that takes care of my next question there in terms of uh, what you thought. So we'll go to our standard non-racing question here. You get to invite, three guests to dinner, whether they are still on earth or not, who are you inviting and why are they on your dinner party list? Oh man. Okay.
2: And just the racing related people?
1: Uh, they can be anybody. It can be, I mean, we've had, God, I think we had one that was like Obama, Jesus, and like Snoop Dogg or something. It was like a totally insane trio. So you can go in whatever direction you want.
2: Fair enough. Since I'm, uh, since I'm in race mode, we're down here. It's the event. I'll keep it to racing people. Uh, man, that's, that's a tough one. Um, I think Michelle Mouton is going to end up on there. Um, simply because she was, uh, she was a badass and she could drive a car and didn't take any shit from anybody. And, uh, yeah, she's going to have a lot of good things to say. Um, and I definitely want to listen to that conversation. I think two. Um, I was always a big fan of Mika Hakkinen, so he's he's on the list because he's uh, you know, he's one of the few people that was ever able to take it to Schumacher, and um, yeah, he was still even you know up to last year he was in the 10-hour at Suzuka in a GT3 car, at you know age 57 or something. So uh, once a racer, always a racer. Uh, and then I think, uh, man, number three, it would be a toss-up. Uh, between uh, Juan Manuel Fangio mm. or uh, Nikki Lauda. I think uh, either one of those guys are just going to be this an immense wealth of knowledge. Uh, and actually, the two of those, I have a, a segment on my social media, at Straight Chicane on Instagram, where I do Words of Wisdom Wednesday, and it's a, a racing or racing applicable uh, quote that uh, means something, and, and Fangio and, and Lauda come up quite a bit. Um, Again, I think that would be an entertaining dinner with uh, Michelle, Mika, and uh, probably Juan Manuel Fangio. I think he uh, he blazed a lot of trails for a lot of people, and he's still the the winningest driver in percentage terms of Formula One starts. So, yeah, I think that I think I'll I'll go with those three.
1: I like it. I think Juan Manuel Fangio doesn't get enough talk anymore, but I guess that's what happens when you raced God sixty or seventy years ago. At this point, but really fascinating career to, to read about him. So obviously we've, we've talked about what's currently going on in IMSA, but how do you get from, you know, where you are now spotting an IMSA and, you know, strategizing for the Michelin pilot challenge, you know, what, what got you to this point and and how did you get started in motorsports to begin with?
2: Well, man, I, uh, I always loved it. And, um, you know, actually, I, I said this on another podcast, but what started it all for me was actually the Need for Speed video game on PlayStation way back in the day. And so, you know, my car, my favorite car in that game was the McLaren F1 road car. And then so in the early days of search engines, I looked it up and then found out that there was a sport called Formula One and then kind of started getting into it. And then it was, you know, reading books and everything. And I fortunately grew up uh, about an hour and a half away from B.I.R., and midway through my high school career they reopened it so I was working corners there I think the second or third event they had when they reopened the circuit and uh yeah it just kind of started in flagging communications started talking to guys and then I started doing you know 12 and 13 hour enduros with SCCA with uh, spec Miata guys and um came up from there I met uh a former Grand Am driver who's now the race director at Action Express but had his own team Chris Mitchum um, we got together for one of the 13 hours I just kind of came down with uh, with no plan, no gig and no expectation of pay and impressed him and then I ended up being his uh, employee number one when he and his dad started the team and uh, yeah, I kind of got into it and then as that team grew I, I went from uh, just being uh, the guy who went and fetched food and wiped the car down to Uh, doing all the logistics for the team to calling the cars to going over the wall uh, to making org charts and and just doing all the administrative stuff. So I I literally did everything for that team short of driving the truck to the track and driving the car on the track. So uh, yeah, I I had a really diverse upbringing in terms of what I had my hand in and and the things that I've done. And then of of course, uh, I worked for Action Express for a number of years, started off doing, Uh, driver change and then evolved to the spotting Uh, and i had some really good mentors there plus i'd already been calling races for years so i brought my own flavor to it and uh yeah just kind of have gone from there and have been able to to survive (laughs) over the years across a number of different series and you know been fortunate enough to go overseas and and spot and do uh some strategy and call races and things too so that's uh that's about it man but it was uh you know I burned my 20s learning how to do all this stuff. So now I, uh, I get to be trusted with a radio <laughs> on top of a box or on top of a roof.
1: I like it. So I'm going to steer slightly off topic. You mentioned spotting overseas. Your favorite track that's not in North America? That I've been to or just in general? Uh, that's a great question. How about both?
2: All right. Um, let's see. I liked the Bahrain international circuit. Okay. Uh, when we went out there, we did the TCR and there's an asterisk to this. There's a little bonus side reason. I like the, the track as well. But, uh, when we ran the TCR cars out there in the middle East, it was, we ran the short course, which is, I guess the, they call it the Oasis circuit. So it's, okay. uh, I, I, I named it the lime rock of the middle East because <laughs> it's, it's 11 turns, one and a half miles. Sounds very familiar. Um, but it's, it's a very, very nice little circuit. Um, it was fun to, to watch a bunch of those cars bump around. Um, and I also got a little chuckle because I went to Bahrain and then I was coming straight off to, uh, to Sebring. So I had, of course, uh, gear packed for Florida because it tends to rain. And, uh, during one of our, our rain our races or practice sessions, it started to rain in Bahrain. And I just chuckled at the fact that I was probably the only idiot that had traveled to the Middle East with a rain jacket. And uh, I was sitting pretty and dry laughing (laughs) while I was uh, on the corner spotting for my guy, but that was, uh, that was cool. And the Bahraini international circuit also has a phenomenal go-kart circuit attached to it. It is amazing. Um, The driver, Brandon Godovic that went out there with me, uh yeah i think we we spent a couple hours and a few hundred bucks on that thing just running around. <laughs> but yeah it was it was immense and uh yeah of course it's a bit of a culture shock when you go out there go out to uae to yas marina dubai and all that but it was uh it was just an awesome experience and i, I can't wait to go back uh in terms of ones i haven't been to um i'm not gonna go, not gonna go with the the usual like uh, a Lama or, or mount panorama or Spa or Nurburgring, you know, I'm not totally sure where I would, uh, where I'd like to go.
0: Health and wellness, true crime, and fiction. To find out more about Evergreen podcasts, go to www.evergreenpodcast.com. Vamos!
2: Man, there's some there's some historic circuits that don't exist anymore. Uh, but I think uh, one of the ones I would like to check out is the one that uh, the 24-hour series actually uh, kind of brought back that was a forget the proper name of the track, but it's the one in Sicily that's around the lake and they, they ran a 12 hour there last year and they're doing it again this year. And it was a really historic circuit. It's actually an endurance race or circuit that was run endurance races on that predates Le Mans. I think the first one that they did there was like somewhere deep in the 19 teens, uh, when motor cars and motor racing were very much in their infancy. But
1: so, um, would this be the Sicilian circuit of Pergusa? That's it. All right. A quick Google search helped me out there.
2: That's it. So I, I would like to go to that one. Um, I would like to go to Porto Um I went to Yerez uh, year before last with Super Trofeo. I really enjoyed that circuit, and the town was super cool. Um, and of course, the, uh, the ham is unbeatable in that region of Spain. So yeah. it's, uh, yeah, it's quite good, man. There's too many. It's, it's like a car. It's like, what's your favorite car? There's so many good ones.
1: All right. So since you asked it, I'm going to go that direction. Now I'm going to put you on the spot, but I'll, I'll try to make it a little easier. What's the favorite, your favorite car that you've, you've been a, a a team member on in in any capacity?
2: Ooh. Um, Really good question. Uh, I've, there's been quite a lot, and I really like a lot of them. I mean, I the the tube frame DPs, especially that last generation with the, the Corvette, obviously had a lot of success with those with the Action Express boys, um, and that was that was quite a good time. And they just sound proper. I know that they were they were they were closer to a GT car than the the carbon tub cars that we have today, uh, but. Man, they were—they just sounded awesome. They were fun to work with. They were—they were Lego sets. They were easy to rebuild if you crashed one. Um, the caddies now are the same way, obviously with the—the uh, the engine sound, a um, little more complicated, a little different to drive. Uh, but you know, that's those are kind of the boring answers because those are the high-level stuff that we've always had in North American sports car racing. Um, I've enjoyed, you know, the, the fifth-gen Camaro SS that we had. Uh, in Mitchum years ago uh, because that was something we actually were able to help develop uh, in terms of uh, making better cooling packages and everything and GM actually took a lot of the things that we did on track with those cars and applied them to that first Camaro ZL1 that they came out with uh, specifically with like engine internal strengthening um, and differential cooling and things like that so it was cool to see uh, we weren't just racing we were actually you know putting something towards uh the road cars uh which was always cool um i really enjoyed that and we had an old uh porsche 9971 that we did uh 2011 and 12 i believe so that was pretty cool it was a daytona special we built it only for this race uh it was intentionally built from a cup car we didn't widen the bodywork because there was only a bodywork maximum and of course all the factory built Porsches were at that maximum so the car went like hell on the the banking we had we lost in uh in braking and downforce and obviously in the infield but we more than made up for it on top speed so that was cool just to have a a little Daytona special to be a part of which was cool but I mean there's there's been so many cars the KTM crossbow GT4 was was rad and that thing was like a a miniature bat and uh for having such a tiny engine and being so far removed from the big V8 Camaros and the Panos and the, the Mustangs and everything else that we raced against. It was like the little car that could and those things were just so much fun. Uh, you know, we would do um, our mid-corner speed at turn four at most which is the second like fall off the earth left-hander, would match our top speed at the end of the Andretti straight. At most, so you were going as fast mid-corner dropping off two three four stories as you would b max at the end of the straight so those cars were just immense and they would do anything you told them to do it was they were great so there's been there's been too many and so many i I know i haven't answered your question but (laughs) i've kind of given you in a roundabout way the the unsorted top five
1: yeah no i'll I'll take it Uh, i'll wrap it up with one last question here. I know you kind of talked about LMP3 predictions early on. So, if you're going to make a prediction for the race as a whole, it looks like we should have some good weather pretty much the entire race. So, the DPI class and and the other classes, who do you think uh, who do you think's the favorite right now?
2: Well, uh, I, I mean, look, uh, I've I've been involved in that class for quite a while, and. I'm not going to say anybody, but Action Express for DPI. I like it. Even if there was some tomfoolery going on this weekend, this is the one race where imbalanced BOP matters the least because you can race it back. You can win in the pit stops. You can win with a strategy and there's nobody in that paddock that's going to beat that team over 24 hours in the pit lane. There's no team in the paddock that's going to outsmart their, their brain trust on the box over a 24-hour period. And, I mean, look at their driver lineup. <laughs> it's, it, it's it's tough. And, uh, I mean, you look even at the 48 with Jimmy Johnson, who is an extremely competent sports car driver. He's got all these guys around him, the Kumu Kabyashis, Mike Rockenfeld, like all of these guys. You're like, it's the who's who. So that's going to be a strong one. I fully, you know, I want those guys to want to, and it's absolutely possible. Uh, For LM, you know, I think the BMWs, for whatever reason, they have their own postal code. They shouldn't be fast here, but they are. Uh, I think they're, they're kind of in a swan song situation anyway, pairing their program down to just the endurance events. And I think we see the writing on the wall for where that's going to continue past 2021. So I look to those guys to be, pretty strong um, and that's that's what history tells us to do. Uh, LMP3, it's a toss up. It's gonna be uh, whoever doesn't hurt their equipment and force a mechanical failure early and who doesn't hit anything. Again, I, I don't think anybody's gonna make it to the end um, but the guy who goes the longest is gonna be the the one who takes care of the equipment, doesn't overcook the brakes, doesn't abuse the curbs, doesn't get anything doesn't put himself anywhere where he's not supposed to and uh, just simply has a bit of sensibility and checks out when the GT cars are around him, give him some gap and, you know, just be sensible and, and make it home. That's what this race is all about. So yeah. uh, again, that's a toss up because there's, there's some really good guys out there. I mean, my man, Joel Barbosa is in a P3 car. Uh, so I think as long as that, that team can keep the car underneath of him and his his driver's, Stay out of taking unnecessary risks that's going to be a strong one I think that's uh, same Creech uh, 47 guys I worked with them last year in the prototype challenge calling race strategy um, So I think they they've they've got a good package but again it's there's so much unknown with these cars it doesn't matter how well or how much you prepare them they're still in many ways untested untried untrue so I think it's going to be anybody's game in that class uh, but I would like to see uh, Joel get another Rolex or, uh you know my friends at 47 win one two uh they're pretty pretty hardworking, earnest guys so that'll be interesting that'll be an interesting one to watch and then uh for gtd i'm not going to jinx it but (laughs) we all know we all know why i'm here and i know why everybody else in that paddock is there so we're gonna see how it plays out man
1: yeah i was kind of wondering what you what direction you were going to take the gtd one there but uh well, well done on the answer on, on, on that one. I think it's going to be a, a fun class to watch.
2: Cheers. And uh, I last but not least P2, not, not forgetting them. Yeah. Um, that's going to be an interesting one too. Um, simply because there's so many new teams and there's a couple of European expats that have come over uh, for this one. And uh, yeah, I mean, Daytona is a different animal, man. So if you, if you haven't had the experience here, it might not, might not help that you have you know, Robert Kubica or somebody in the car. Uh, this thing will chew you up and spit you out. And we've seen that in years past too. So I think that's that too, it's going to be up there, man. Anybody's game. Uh, and I think there, that'll be a fun one to watch. I just hope that it's uh, not too fun for my, my GT car. We stay out of uh, stay out of each other's way.
1: <laughs> a nice boring race until like the last half hour when you're just way ahead is what you're looking for.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's how you want it, but it's, it's Daytona. <laughs> it's not without drama. Uh, It's not without issue. It's and really, at the end of the day, it comes down to who mitigates the risk. The best, best doesn't take any unnecessary risk and, um, simply makes the least number of mistakes. Pace really doesn't matter here, especially for this race. There's far too much time to to make up for it. That's, that's really easy to lose a three minute lead. Yeah. You're sitting on the side of the circuit going zero miles an hour with, uh, three (laughs) wheels, that, that leads going to go by pretty quick. So, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean just even years ago when we had the, the massive lead with action express that we, we gained overnight because everybody else had so many issues. I think at one point we had a 14 or 15 lap lead and then, uh, our engine tried to eat itself. So now we were, now we were, uh, we had this huge lead and we have to, you know, go go half throttle or something to try to preserve the engine and you know there's still 12 hours left in the race and so literally anything can happen at this thing and uh, again it's it goes back to i forget which president made the made the quote but it's uh plans are useless but preparations are indispensable
1: i like that that's a good quote
2: that's very applicable to this one
1: (laughs) well on that note, sir, I listen. I appreciate the time. Best of luck this weekend. Definitely get some rest between now and then, and uh, look forward to chatting again soon. This is a lot of fun, and and obviously hope both of your teams are are very successful this weekend.
2: That's the idea, man. We're here to to do one thing, and that's win motor races. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. We've had a couple of days to recharge the batteries here. Okay, like, like I told you earlier, we had yeah. a little jog and drive on the beach at Daytona because that's what you do when you're here and you have some time. Uh, but yeah, no, we're, uh, we're geared up to start getting after it tomorrow. And, uh, race on Friday and race on Saturday, Sunday, man.
1: It's going to be a fun one. And for those who are watching, make sure to check out our social media. I'll do extra posts for, for Trevor's teams and obviously probably do some live streams and stuff. So stay tuned to our social media for the race updates and Trevor, thank you very much. I wholeheartedly appreciate all the time and, uh, definitely have to chat again at some point after the race.
2: Absolutely, man. You've got my number. Uh, it's been a treat. Um, happy to be here, man. Happy to, uh, to share my opinion, however bad it is. And, uh, yeah, I look forward to it.
1: All right, man. Well, listen, I, I appreciate it and, uh, stay safe. You as well, man. Thank you. All right. Thanks. Bye. See ya.